Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. In August of 1997, the body of 81-year-old Marjorie Nugent was found in a taped-up freezer in her home. Police quickly arrested her close and only friend, 39-year-old Bernie Tita. Much to the dismay of law enforcement, the city of Carthage, Texas rallied around Bernie, and tales of his supposed kindness versus the miserliness of Marjorie captured the attention of director Richard Linkletter. This is based on a true crime. I'm Chelsea, and I love true crime. And I'm David, and I love horror movies, and in this case, uh, dark comedies. Yeah. Yeah. I've always liked dark comedies, so. Yeah, Yeah, welcome to this week's episode of Based on a True Crime. Uh, Hey, everybody. Yeah. Long time no hear from us. Hey, wait, we said that last episode. (laughs) Yeah. I hope you all are enjoying our new release schedule of uh, Better Late Than Never. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's been tough since the move. Work is pretty challenging and we had some sad life things happen recently. Uh... R.I.P. to Pippin, the doggy that I, I grew up with. We got him when I was in high school, so he had a nice long life, but it still sucks. Yep. Yeah, he was a really sweet dog. Yeah, but I, I got to go home and be with my family for it, so yeah, I, I feel pretty lucky about that. Yeah, yeah. If you are not a member of our Patreon, you should, because we are dedicated to getting at least one of those out a month. Yes, it's true. We've, we've been good about that. And our next one we're pretty excited about. We're covering the movie Urban Legends and talking about some of the urban legends referenced in the movie. And our Patreon supporters are going to be voting for which ones we talk about. So that should be a good one. I'm really excited because I haven't seen that movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I actually have not either. Yes, but this episode is for everybody, and we did want to start with shouting out the correct guesses on Instagram. We had Super Duper Katie G. Facebook was Carrie, and Twitter was, of course, Chippy TFT. Hey, good yeah. job, everybody. What was the picture again? It, it was, was just a picture of Jack of Black. Jack Black. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was a pretty obvious one. <laughs> People guessed it real fast. Yeah, it's a really well-known movie, which is why I was so surprised. It's not on any streaming service or on iTunes. Even the only place you could rent it is YouTube. Yep. So I'm I'm not sure why, but yeah. I was excited for for you to watch it. I saw it in theaters way back when. Yeah, I kept confusing it with the Bernie Madoff movie. <laughs> That's another one we could cover for the podcast, though. Yeah, I like uh, Jack Black's little mustache in it. Yes, he's he's got a respectable little mustache. We have a couple of new reviews. We have uh, Karaoke. We have, well, I can't really pronounce this one. How did you say it? I think it's Ayoji Asabi. Ooh, sure. nice. All right, cool. And then Jormega or Jormiga or Jormiga. Yeah. But thank you so much for the reviews. Yes. And actually, one of these reviews, I can't remember which one, but uh, talked about how they kind of wish we would go off script a little bit. So yes. uh, oh, that's yeah. actually, it was actually, it was a very nice, very helpful review. And we're we're going to try it because I uh, I don't have as much time to, to write a detailed script. So we're kind of going off of our notes. You'll have to forgive us if we don't sound quite as polished but hopefully we also won't go so fast because apparently that's something we did when we were reading off the script that's something i do all the time really i'm a fast talker <laughs> yeah yeah i kind of like doing a cold read on something really fast it feels like a, a little just like a challenge it's like my own challenge i'm like i'm gonna read it faster and faster and faster like the uh micro machines guy yeah we're gonna we're gonna go off script we're gonna have some fun with this one it's so it's a pretty fun 40 movie. minutes of banter yeah yeah now the whole thing's gonna be banter or both of us laughing. Just you laughing. Just me laughing. Yeah, they don't mind your laugh. And me reading really fast. No. 
<laughs> oh no, my vocal fry. Oh yes, yeah. I don't know. If we must have mentioned on the podcast. No, I don't that you think got, we did. Oh yeah, someone actually commented on David's vocal fry for once. So congratulations, yeah. David. Uh, so I'm trying to stalk, talk, stalk. <laughs> no, I'm not stalking the reviewer that said I had vocal oh, no. fry. I mean, not much, but yeah, a little less stuffy and a little more of a softer voice. Can't help it. I got New Mexico allergies right now. <laughs> and I can't help it. Oh, I've got movie theater voice in a world. Oh, sorry. No. All right. Shall we? Yeah, let's do it. Bernard Bernie Tita II was born to Bernard Tita I and Lila May Jester on August 2nd of 1958. He grew up in Abilene, Texas. His father was a professor of music at Our Lady of the Lake College in San Antonio, and he uh, also worked at the Southern Methodist University in Dallas. Like Bernie would eventually, he was kind of known for having a really beautiful singing voice. He was very involved in, in music and in the church. When Bernie was two, his mother died in an automobile accident. His father was actually driving at the time, and his mother was in the passenger seat. Bernie said that his father never forgave himself for this accident, and afterwards he started drinking very hard, which contributed to his early death. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well, his father remarried in 1963 when Bernie was just five years old. Uh, His second wife was Clara Catherine, and 10 years later, when Bernie was 15, his father died. Bernie took an after-school job at a funeral home. At first, he was just doing yard work, but eventually he started helping out with the funerals. Oh, that's a pretty young age to get involved in the mortuary sciences. Yeah, I kind of feel like uh, no matter how curious I might have been at that age, I don't know, I think it would have freaked me out too much. I had a couple of uh, classmates, I think, their families were like longtime mortuarians. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they, they were around that growing up, I guess. Yeah, I feel like that can kind of desensitize you to it a little bit. But, you know, he he didn't grow up with it, but he kind of felt like he had his calling. And he told his sister that he thought that he was meant to help others and that, you know, working in this funeral home was was one way to do that. Uh, Bernie was very popular in school. He would actually uh, sneak the hearse out of the funeral home on Fridays and drive his friends around town. Now that I would have been into as a teenager. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Bernie also claimed that after his father's death, he was molested by his uncle, Elmer Doucet. Doucet has denied this, although he did admit in court to, I guess, writing Bernie a sexually explicit letter, which like, ew. Oh, ooh. (laughs) I feel like that could be, you know, maybe not equally traumatizing, but pretty traumatizing to a teenager to receive that from, you know, an an uncle, a family member. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very messed up. Uncle Elmer, Um, And Bernie said that he felt like this kind of introduced uh, a darkness into his world that, you know, maybe contributed to what happened later. Um, So he graduated from Cooper High School in Abilene in 1976, and he ended up going to school for mortuary science. So I guess he really enjoyed his time at the funeral home. He received an associate's degree in mortuary science from uh, McNeese State University in Lake Charles, Louisiana. So he uh, started working in these funeral homes, and in 1985, he moved to Carthage, Texas, and got a job at the Hawthorne Funeral Home. The owner at the time, Don Lipsy, described him as the most qualified young man he had ever seen. And this is a, a quote from Don. He said, quote, He waited well on the families. He would sing solos behind the screen during the funeral, and he was a darned good embalmer. He had a talent of making the hair of the deceased look really natural. Hey, that's important. Yeah. It's a very specific and kind of uh, maybe elusive trait amongst people. So Yeah, and it's, uh, I liked, I know we'll probably talk about the movie later, but it kind of opens with, you know, showing him kind of doing the the makeup for uh, a body. And yeah, it takes some skills. Uh, So Bernie was especially popular with the wealthy widows who populated much of the town. You know, they would often come in for funerals of their husbands and he would comfort them and quote scripture and sing for them. He had a really beautiful tenor voice, Uh, but it was also just popular around town in general. He was very generous. He would uh, buy gifts for everyone. He sewed curtains for people. He helped out on their tax returns. He would 
basically drop anything to help a town resident in need. He was a member of the First United Methodist Church. Uh, He was a tenor soloist. He taught Sunday school and sometimes he even gave the sermon and residents would often say, you know, oh, he did a a better job than the pastor. (laughs) Uh, He was also very involved, um, you know, as his father was with the music departments at his colleges, at Panola College. He was involved in the drama department. He was renowned for his knowledge of Broadway musicals. So he can hang with me, except he can't because he uh, is a murderer. But (laughs) I also like Broadway musicals is what I'm saying. Right on. Uh, He was also asked to conduct the drama department's performances of Showboat and Guys and Dolls. In addition to being popular with the older widows, he was also actually pretty popular with younger women around town. And, you know, they kind of wanted to to get a little bit closer to him. He was so kind. But Bernie showed no interest in them, which kind of started some rumors around town that he was gay, which he was later on. He would join a, a gay man's choir in his little break from being in prison, which we'll get to eventually. So in 1990, about five years after he moved to Carthage, he met 81-year-old Marjorie Nugent when he was performing the funeral services for her husband, Rod. Marjorie actually grew up just outside of Carthage. She was born in 1915, and she met her husband, Rod, at Louisiana Tech, where he was uh, working towards his electrical engineering degree. Shortly after their marriage, Rod got a job working for Magnolia Oil, which later became Mobile. So, of course, he was pretty financially successful. They lived in Louisiana, New Mexico, and Texas for his work. Um, They ended up raising their only son, Rod Jr., while they were living in Midland, Texas. Finally, in 1989, they moved back to Marjorie's hometown, and a year later, Rod suddenly passed away due to heart failure. Uh, So he had done very well over the course of his career. He was worth between 5 and $10 million. Wow. Yeah. And after his death, Marjorie became the wealthiest widow in Carthage. Prior to his death, they had built a sprawling 6,000 square foot stone home at the edge of town, which was surrounded by walls and had an electronic gate. Marjorie tended to have a, uh, we'll say, less than stellar reputation. She was known for being a bit stuck up and stingy. She would, you know, despite her wealth, haggle for lower prices, uh, even on vet bills. Oh, we should try that. Yeah. Um, And she had a strained relationship even with her family. You know, she had a sister that she hadn't talked to in years. She even didn't have a a great relationship with her son. You know, although I think maybe a a better description of her, you know, given by residents of the town was that she wasn't straight up rude to people, but she didn't go out of her way to be friendly to them. And that really sticks out in a small town. And, you know, she basically had the exact opposite disposition of Bernie, who would seemingly do anything to help out anyone. So not many people attended Rod's funeral, and Bernie noticed that you know, Marjorie didn't seem to have any friends. He sang during Rod's service. He lent his coat to Marjorie afterwards when he noticed that she was shivering. And once the funeral was over, he continued to check in with her to see how she was doing. He started coming by her estate for lunch. He took her to theater shows in town. And he even left little notes of endearment around her house, which is a little bit weird. So in return, Marjorie was very generous with Bernie. She bought him a $12,000 Rolex watch. Eventually, as they got closer, she gave him access to her bank account so that he could pay bills for her. And she also started paying for him to um, join her on these trips. She paid for him to go on a cruise with her. People around town started becoming a little bit suspicious of their relationship, although they were kind of wondering, you know, who was seducing who. Was it the, uh, you know, younger gentleman going after an older woman for her money? Or, you know, was she kind of using her money to lure him into this friendship? Marjorie, you know, not only did she have a lot of money prior to her husband's death, she also was continuing to make between two hundred and three hundred thousand dollars per year in oil and gas royalty payments. Wow, that's a lot. Yeah. And uh, Bernie was a, a bit of a shopaholic. As I mentioned, he really liked to spend money um, not only on other people, but also on himself. Eventually, Marjorie offered him a salaried job to basically be her personal assistant. Um, And he accepted. He left his full-time position at the funeral home. 
Um, And by that point, Marjorie had already changed her will to make Bernie her sole beneficiary. Uh Uh-oh. Yes. Marjorie told her cousin that she felt like her son didn't appreciate her. So this was kind of like a bit of an F you to him, you know, to make this other man who's been showering her with attention, you know, her inheritor. Marjorie gave Bernie money to buy a home uh, about a mile from her estate, and he decorated it all to his style, which apparently included a lot of uh, penguins. He liked penguins because he thought that they were uh, snappy dressers. Oh, they are pretty snappy dressers. I I kind of like penguins for the same reason. He also used her money to buy several small planes, and he got his pilot license. And they traveled all over the world together. They went to Europe and Egypt and Russia. They uh, flew to New York City to see Broadway musicals. Um, And basically, Bernie was living the life he had always dreamed of. Except that... He did start finding Marjorie to be a bit overbearing. So when he was out, he constantly had to check in with her. She would freak out at him if he wasn't home at exactly 1145 for lunch. But still, all in all, I at least I don't think that's a very bad arrangement considering you know the amount of money he apparently had access to and was able to spend all willy-nilly and you know he didn't just spend the money on himself he actually started kind of sneaking money out of her bank account to give out to people around town he ended up buying at least 10 cars for people who couldn't afford them wow he must have been pretty sneaky yeah he bought a home for a struggling couple even sneakier yeah he paid for scholarships to students at panola college He gave $100,000 to the First United Methodist Church. Uh, I guess they were like constructing a a new wing on the church. This is kind of one of the crazier ones, I think. Uh, There was a woman in town who owned the like a trophy shop and that's where the high school would get all of their trophies from and her business was failing. She told Bernie about it and he bought the business so that students at the high school could continue to get their trophies. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Uh, he paid for like choirs to come to town to give concerts and he would you know give away free tickets to these concerts um, and he also funded a co-worker from the funeral home who wanted to start a clothing store like a western style clothing store he was so generous with marjorie's money yeah so generous <laughs> with someone else's money especially considering with her disposition you know although she might have been happy to have bernie buy whatever he wanted with her money because she felt like you know, they had this this friendship that she was benefiting from. It sounds like she wouldn't give a damn about the high school sports team not getting a trophy. So to spend her money on that kind of a venture, I think he knew that it was wrong for sure. Yeah. So they, they continued for, for years to have this friendship. And then in uh, 1995, things kind of started to take a turn for the worst. So uh, Bernie told his sister that Marjorie seemed to be developing dementia and that she had fired all of her gardeners because the flowers didn't bloom on time. He told his sister that Marjorie was just really controlling and it was starting to wear him down. When his sister asked why he didn't just quit, he said that he couldn't because he was Marjorie's only friend. Um, So then in Thanksgiving of 1996, Bernie went to his sister's alone and he told her that Marjorie had gone to Ohio to visit her sister. Christmas time came around and according to Bernie, at least, Marjorie was still in Ohio. By the early spring... When townsfolk started asking about you know where Marjorie was, why they hadn't seen her in in months, he said that Marjorie was sick in bed and she was not taking visitors. And by late spring, the story had become that Marjorie had a stroke and she was recovering in a nursing home. That seems suspicious to me. Yep. Well, some of Marjorie's business associates were getting suspicious, but no one really wanted to accuse Bernie of anything, you know, because he's just such a nice guy and also because he was continuing to you know spend her money around town you know very very generously (laughs) i see what's going on here yeah so finally in june of 1997 an unidentified carthage woman called police to say that she was worried about marjorie it took about a month for police to actually start looking into her whereabouts they talked to bernie And uh, Bernie told them that she was at a hospital in Temple under an assumed name. 
Uh, but police followed up on it. They actually went to the hospital and they couldn't find anyone matching her description. Finally, they contacted Marjorie's son and he came up from Amarillo with his oldest daughter and they searched Marjorie's house. They found a, a freezer that was taped shut. They thought it was weird and they opened it up and inside they found Marjorie's body. She had been shot four times in the back. Wow. Yep. A taped up freezer. A taped up freezer. There's no reason to tape up your freezer unless there's a body inside. And technically there's no reason even when there is a body inside. It's not like they're going to bust out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How odd. Very Uh, odd. Well, something to look for though. Yep. If you come home and your freezer is taped shut, don't Don't, open it. Don't open it. No. Especially if you didn't tape it up yourself because then someone was in your house. Yep. If you come home and your freezer is randomly taped up, slowly back outside of the door. There's going to be a body in it. Or it's Zool. Or it's a portal to another dimension. Could be. Yep. All right. Your turn, David. Oh, my turn? (laughs) Yeah, I get the post-death stuff. Yep. I'm doing pre-death. David's doing post-death. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Well, police went looking for Bernie, and they found him in town. Uh, He was about to take a team of Little League baseball players and their parents out to dinner. Actually, that reminds me of The Outsider a little bit. Oh, yes. The suspicious Little League coaches. The the nice guy. Except in this case, the nice guy did actually kill her. Spoiler alert. (laughs) It was not like a creepy demon or whatever. Yeah, it wasn't Zool. So they took him to the police department for questioning. Well, he quickly broke down and admitted to shooting marjorie to death on november the 19th now keep in mind that this is months in the later. summer yes yeah. months and months and months later so they asked him why he shot her and bernie told them that she'd become hateful and possessive and in his confession to the police he said quote i had thoughts of hitting marjorie in the head with a bat or anything for a couple of months prior to november 19th of 1996 but i did not want her to suffer Marjorie had a rifle in the freezer closet. I had moved the rifle into the bathroom near the garage. She had walked out into the garage towards my car. I took the rifle and shot Marjorie in the back. She fell face first. Marjorie was still breathing heavily, so I shot her again. I may have shot her one more time. I did not want her to suffer. I then dragged Marjorie by the feet from the garage to the freezer. I had taken the food from the freezer. I placed her into the freezer and covered her with the food. I took a water hose and washed the blood from the garage. I swept up the bullets along with some leaves and threw them away. So pretty premeditated there. Yeah, it seems like there was yeah, just, I think he had a plan. Move, Yeah, moving the rifle was a, a big sign that it was premeditated. Yeah, well, so, but he but, kind of... Yeah, but later you know. he claims that it is not. Yep, exactly. That he had kind of a break. So at least with what he wrote in his first confession, that was my impression. Well, later on, while he was talking to his sister from jail... He said that there wasn't anything in particular on that day that set him off. He said he just realized that he couldn't stand living with her for another day. Hopefully you won't reach that point with me. Oh, no, never. I love you so much. (laughs) You're the best. So the district attorney, Danny Buck, was really shocked at how the town rallied around Bernie after his arrest. A group of women tried to raise money for his $1.5 million bond. So he had added theft charges to raise the bond to almost $3 million. Denny believed that Bernie was a con man who had duped the entire town. Marjorie's son, Rod Jr., agreed, and he also further alleged that Bernie had intentionally worked to alienate his mother from her friends and family in his plot to take her money, because as you remember, she was basically estranged from the rest of the family and isolated. So Danny was concerned about getting a fair trial in Carthage. He was really hoping that Bernie would take a plea deal, but Bernie ended up not doing that. Um, Danny applied for a change of venue and he got the trial moved 50 miles away, which I guess could help a lot. Get it out of that small town. Yeah. And I always think it's interesting, you know, when change of venues take place, I think they might've mentioned this in the movie. You know, it's usually because the town is so set against this person, you know, someone comes in and, and kills a member of the town, you know, and they're going to want 
revenge and justice. And in this case, it was the exact opposite, (laughs) (laughs) a change of venue because the town just loved Bernie so much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, What a, what a rare occasion. (laughs) Well, Bernie's defense was that he had killed Marjorie in an act of passion while Danny argued that Marjorie had found out about Bernie stealing from her and then she had confronted him about it. In the end, the trial only lasted for less than a week, and it took the jury only about 20 minutes to find him guilty. He was sentenced to life in prison. Yeah, and I feel like that absolutely would not have been the case without that change of venue. Oh my gosh, yeah, you are not joking. So prior to the trial, in January of 1998, there was an article published in the Texas Monthly that was called Midnight in the Garden of East Texas, and this was written by Skip Hollinsworth. Who It was also my main reference for this research. All right, cool. And uh, we'll talk about him um, a little bit later when we talk about the film. Oh, yeah. Richard Linklater read the article and couldn't get the story out of his head. He even ended up attending the 1999 trial. So that's pretty hardcore. Yeah. Well, he's he's Texas-based, right? He lives in Austin. Right. So uh, it wasn't too far to travel. And yeah, he really followed the case. Well, so he and Skip Hollinsworth uh, began working together on the screenplay. That ended up becoming the movie Bernie, and we'll be talking about that just here in a little bit. A few weeks before production on Bernie began, Richard Linkletter and Jack Black visited Bernie in jail, and Richard and Bernie struck up a friendship. The movie premiered in Austin and got really positive reviews from critics, but negative reviews from Marjorie's family. In the audience was Jody Cole, who was an appeals lawyer. And after she watched the movie, she felt that Bernie's sentence was a miscarriage of justice based on watching how Jack Black snapped before committing the murder. She thought it was a classic disassociative moment. And Which it's just, a film. It's, I know. It's, it's nuts to me. That's just so wild. Like, <laughs> this is not like a, a documentary or somehow footage of the act happening. It's a movie. They should have used that on the poster, though. It was like, yeah. Jack Black's performance was so good, it convinced me that it was actually Bernie. I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. Well, she ended up taking on Bernie's case, and while meeting with him, Bernie confessed to her about the alleged sexual abuse that he had suffered at the hands of his uncle that we mentioned earlier. Jody Cole successfully appealed his conviction, and she claimed that the abusive relationship between Bernie and Marjorie, that combined with his past, triggered the attack. And it was not premeditated as the prosecutor claimed. In addition, there were allegations that his confession had been written under threat of release of private videos found in his home, supposedly videos of him with men from the town. And even Danny Beck said that he would not have sought such a harsh sentence had he known, and he ended up recusing himself from the retrial. Bernie was released on $10,000 bail and moved in with director Richard Linkletter in his Austin home. So uh, that's... Yeah, that kind of blew my mind. And I feel like, I don't know, it kind of made me rethink my feelings of the movie, knowing how it, it kind of influenced the case in real life. I had... You know, all of this happened after the movie was released. So, you know, last time I looked into this case was after I saw the movie for the first time. And uh, yeah, the fact that after this movie came out, it basically gave him a, a second trial. I don't know. It it kind of made me feel a little sick. Yeah. But also yeah. you got to feel good for Jack Black that he uh, played so sympathetically. Yeah, but movies aren't real. No, they're not. And then the liberties that they took with this movie, which we'll talk about, you know, in a little bit are are pretty significant you know they do not portray marjorie in a very flattering light at all you know i think they make her way worse than she was in real life and then based on the movie he gets a retrial i don't know i don't know yeah yeah that that just i don't know that's some next level stuff well uh even worse kind of uh insult to injury is that marjorie's family found out about bernie's release on the news Oh, it makes me so angry. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't like, the, you know, the, the prosecutors notified her, them ahead of time or anything. It's just like watching the local news. Oh, by the way, oh gosh. Bernie's living with the Hollywood director. Oh, oh, man. Well, Bernie's resentencing trial began on April 6th of 2016, so not that long ago. The trial took place in Henderson, Texas, uh, again due to Bernie's continued support in Carthage all these years later. Marjorie's family had to get on the stand and argue that she was nothing like she was portrayed to be in the movie. So they had to say, 
she's not Shirley MacLaine. Th- this wasn't her. This was she's a fictional character. Yeah. Yep. And in fact, the director Richard Linkletter ended up testifying in Bernie's defense, saying that Bernie was a quote incredibly nice, generous man who did a horrible thing. Okay, that's fine. He, but he did the horrible thing. So. Yep. On April 22nd of 2016, the jury deliberated for around four hours before delivering a new sentence of 99 years to life. And his lawyers appealed again one week later. And in August of 2017, a Texas appeals court upheld the 99-year prison sentence. So Bernie will be eligible for parole in just a couple of years, 2029. And he will be, uh, well, just seven years old. Yeah, so that's that's the story of Bernie. I guess in terms of discussion points, I don't know. Are are you team Marjorie's family? Or are you team Richard Linkletter? What kind of punishment does someone deserve for killing a person who's like, you know, maybe not the nicest person? Does that make it okay? What do you think? Like Richard Linklater, yeah. the film in, influences my decision here, but the opposite way. Watching the Bernie film without knowing any of the true crime mm-hmm. from like the first reel. I was like, he's after these old ladies money and he yeah. will kill any of them. And I didn't get that. He was just a super friendly guy. Like I don't, I don't know what they were smoking, but like the, the movie to me, I was just like, he's going to kill her at any second. Like, of course, like, of course he's like a, what's the granny robber. What is there a thing? Is there a saying? <laughs> I don't know, but I'll take granny robber. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Uh, so I yeah I was like oh okay he did it and he would have done it if any of these other widows were wealthy and the timing was right. Yeah. I can't help but feel after reading what I read about the case and a lot of what you find online is is very sympathetic towards Bernie. But I don't know the impression I get is just that he's incredibly manipulative and I think you know yes he was well loved he also bought people houses and cars and just whatever they wanted or asked for you know and he donated a hundred thousand dollars to the church in a town where yeah that kind of thing's very important and I just think that it was never his money so it wasn't like he was doing good things the whole time he was just stealing from her before he killed her before he shot an 81 year old woman four times in the back he was 39 he could not just wait for her to die and I guess you know that's actually some of the arguments that are made in his defense was like you know if it was just about the money he was her sole heir he could have just waited for her to die or like why didn't he just hide the body somewhere you know why did he keep it in the freezer and I Jack Black plays it like he's playing the long game that's what I don't get like I that's so frustrating yeah this makes me mad I think that maybe neither neither side is completely right and it's something in between maybe at least in the beginning he did not intend to murder her or was just trying to to wait it out to get her money and you know maybe he did snap in a way but I just feel like he was always after her money and I I don't believe he had a dissociative episode I could believe that he kind of snapped in that he realized that he could not wait for her to die but he also was strategically moving the gun around the house and fantasized about hitting her with a baseball bat so yeah I gotta say I'm I'm not team Bernie here no nope Sorry. Fair enough. (laughs) All right. So some things we just talked about uh, regarding the film, we will chat about in a little bit more detail here in a second. So sit tight. We'll be right back. Can I tell you, I am not fond of cremations. I just don't like the idea of someone spending eternity in something the size of a motel ice bucket. (laughs) He was the nicest guy in town. He was about the most popular man in Carthage. Real people, person. Just made you feel real good about yourself. It's like he cast a spell over the entire area. Room service. And she was just a mean old widow. She used to tear up my toys. She pulled the heads off my dolls. Well, there's some goodness in there, too. Who says opposites don't attract? She doesn't have anyone. She's a very lonely person. She needs someone. Uh, You sure about that? From the director of School of Rock and Dazed and Confused. It was widely assumed that Bernie was accompanying her places. Oh, yeah. Bernie took her everywhere. They went to Russia, Acapulco, New York City. They went to Europe. Always first class. 
He bought jet skis, nine cars. This spring, somewhere along the way, it was just Bernie. He was her servant. She was demanding. You should have been here hours ago. Condescending. All I want is for you to be a man for once in your life. Even conniving. I know you hate me! No! I don't know how the guy stood it. A woman like that with a bad heart? He should have just shoved the pillow right over her face. There are people in town, honey, that would have shot her for $5. Everybody's describing Bernie T. as an angel. The nicest fellow I've ever met. He didn't do it. He's an angel, all right. An angel of death. <laughs> that dog don't hunt. Jack Black, Shirley MacLaine, Matthew McConaughey. Wheel of misfortune. Your number comes up. Danny Buck's coming to get you first. Bernie. In the freezer? Yeah. All one piece or chopped up? One piece. Frozen like a popsicle. Bernie Tita is a well-loved assistant funeral director in the small town of Carthage, Texas. He's a fantastic singer, a choir member, and a churchgoer. So in the eyes of the townspeople, it seems like Bernie can do no wrong. After he befriends Marjorie Nugent, a wealthy widow who is disliked throughout town, it seems like Bernie has it made. But when Marjorie is found murdered and hidden in a freezer, he is the only suspect who confesses anyway. And nobody blames Bernie for the crime, except for the prosecution. So this is Bernie. It's an adaptation of the true crime that we just talked about, and it kind of plays out very similarly to how we discussed. Yeah, yeah, it's... it's. I think I'll, we'll get into our opinions later, but I will say it's a it's a well-done movie and it's kind of like documentary style. So they'll intercut, you know, what's going on with people from the town kind of talking about Bernie after the fact. And I, I did like that that style. Yeah, I like the style, too. And a lot of those people are actual townspeople from Carthage that knew Bernie and they oh, knew Marjorie. Geez. So, oh, wow. Which is an interesting kind of blending of fiction and reality, which also happened in, in the case of the retrial. <laughs> Yeah, we've actually talked about the people involved with writing the movie Bernie, which is a screenplay by Richard Linklater and Skip Hollinsworth. And we'll get to the to Linklater here in a second. But first, I wanted to mention Hollinsworth's true crime history book, which may be of interest to everyone, called The Midnight Assassin. And it was named a New York Times bestseller in May of 2016. So from Wikipedia, I have not read this book. It is described as such. The Midnight Assassin is a history of Austin, Texas in the year 1885, when a brutal but brilliant serial killer went on a rampage, ritualistically slaughtering seven women over the course of 12 months and setting off a citywide panic. Here's where it gets interesting. Three years later, when a man nicknamed Jack the Ripper carried out a similar series of killings in the Whitechapel district of London, England, Scotland Yard detectives speculated that he was the Austin killer who had traveled overseas to continue to carry out his diabolical work. How come I know nothing about this case? I, I don't know. I, I've never heard of this at all. Yeah. So wow. It's a, I want that book. Yeah. I mean, May 2016. So it's just within the last couple of years. Maybe we'll be following up with some more information on this book soon. You're going to buy it for your Kindle right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking it up right now. <laughs> he is, well, I guess I kind of dropped his big bomb first. Um, now, we're, now I'm just thinking about Jack the Ripper, actually. <laughs> but if you want to talk about Jack the Ripper, check out our From Hell Oh, version. okay. I have heard of this. You it's have. the the Servant Girl Annihilator. Yes. Okay. I only know them by their snappy nicknames. Oh, all right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Cool. I mean, not cool. That sounds very creepy, but very interesting. Not really as interesting as that novel. <laughs> he is, however, an executive editor for Texas Monthly Magazine. And that role is, I guess, what got him involved in the Bernie's case and how he connected with uh, Richard Linklater. Yeah. The the Midnight in the Garden of East Texas was, was published in Texas Monthly. Yep. So this film uh, was directed by Richard Linklater, who is known for quite a few sort of indie auteur films. Really character-based director i think one of his first films was slacker in 1990 um one of the ones though that i know is pretty popular is the coming of age comedy days to confused in 1993 i've not seen either of those ah well i think a lot of people like that movie yes that's actually where one of the co-stars of this film catchphrase matthew mcconaughey and his uh what is it all right all right all right oh yep that's where that comes all from right. Uh, all right all yeah. right all right <laughs> 
He did the epic Before film trilogy, which consists of Before Sunrise, Before Sunset, and Before Midnight. And that's uh, starring Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. I've not seen any of this. I think I've seen Before uh, Sunrise. I've not seen the other two. I'm not interested in romantic dramas, just romantic comedies. They're Yeah, I think they're really dramatic. So He helmed the really fun musical comedy School of Rock with Jack Black. I love that movie. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. And now there's a musical. Uh, he did... Uh, two experimental animated films, Waking Life in 2001 and the Philip K. Dick adaptation of A Scanner Darkly in 2006. That's like got uh, a crazy cast, but it's like... Keanu Reeves, right? Yeah, Keanu yeah. Reeves and Why Not a Rider. They team up again. So yep, Speaking got that of which, connection. it's time to watch Destination Wedding. Oh, coming soon? Yeah, Spoiler that's my coming alert. soon. <laughs> <laughs> and he did that super ambitious movie Boyhood that came out just a couple years ago that they filmed like over 11 years. It was like the kid is like a kid and then he he's yeah. a teenager. Yeah, won a bunch of Oscars. It I know did. my parents did not like it. All right, it doesn't seem up my alley. I I feel like the ambition behind it is pretty impressive, though. I also yeah. feel like it's Oscar bait, but like playing the long game. Yeah, yeah. Like, I feel like when you put that much effort into something, you deserve to be recognized. It's it's groundbreaking. It's something totally different. But I also have zero desire to see that movie. Yeah, same. So we won't be covering it. I don't think there's any crimes that happened or any horror things. So crime is that they stole like twenty bucks from my parents when they bought their tickets. They hated <laughs> it. Well, Bernie was released on September the 16th of 2012, and it ended up grossing $9.2 million on an estimated $5 million budget. It's a very low-budget movie. It was very low-budget, released on a low number of screens, so I feel like that seems like a good number to me. I don't know. I'd take uh, $9.2 million. I almost doubled it. Yeah. We kind of already gave away the cast, but I mean, hopefully you know by now that Bernie is played by Jack Black. I dig black blackjack. Yeah. I've never even played blackjack. I don't know any card games. Wait, is it blackjack's a card game, right? That's not the yes, spinning wheel game. Oh. What's the spinning wheel game? Roulette? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, All not, right. it's not the spinning wheel game. Yeah. It's a card game. Yep. Blackjack. But uh, Jack Black, we already mentioned School of Rock. We just saw the sequel to Jumanji, which was really good. He was awesome in that. I, I was surprised how much I liked that movie. I'm kind of a purist. I love the original Jumanji and the fact that they were making it with video games, which I I do not do video games. I was like, this is so lame. But actually, the movie was, was really funny and cute. I liked it a lot. Yeah. He plays R.L. Stein in Goosebumps. Yes, I I actually I really liked the Goosebumps movie and I'm uh I'm excited for this new one. Yeah, and I guess he's not in in the new one, but he's playing a, a different character in another spooky kids Halloween movie, The House with the Clock in Its Walls. Oh, yeah. So that looks pretty good too. It does. It looks fun. He's in High Fidelity. He's I love that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. What's that line? Get your patchouli stink out of my store. <laughs> yeah. I just say that all the time randomly. Yep, that's nope. right. Nacho Libre, which was pretty funny. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Yep. Shallow How, I've not seen that. Oh, I I actually, I like that movie a lot. Right it on. Was, it was sweet. Be Kind Rewind, I was a little disappointed in, but... I was too, but I think it's only because I love Eternal Sunshine so much, and this was another Michel Gondry movie, and it was just didn't have the same magic. Yeah, um, I, I the... did love The Science of Sleep, though. That oh, was, all right, that was a really good one. Yeah, I think we have both remembered him being in the X Files. He was like in an episode. He was like a kid. He was a little kid. Oh, he was, was really he? young. He was a little shiny baby. I. Uh, I can't remember. Oh, okay. Well, I remember back when he was in the X-Files. Also, uh, I think the first time I ever remember seeing him, though, or, or like being like, oh, that guy's funny. He's in Tim Burton's Mars Attacks. And he's like one of the, the brothers. Mm. should probably mention his band, too. Oh, it'll come up. It'll come up? All right. Because yeah. he does a lot of singing in this movie. He does. Yeah. Yep. Shirley MacLaine, who is an Academy Award winning actor who won that award for her role in terms of endearment. However, her first film... Just trying to connect it to the genre a little bit was in Alfred Hitchcock's The Trouble with Harry in 1955. And this isn't a horror movie or exactly a thriller, but it sounds like it. So the setup is it's the story about what happens when the residents of a small Vermont village act when a dead body is found on a hillside. And it's listed as like a romantic comedy thriller i haven't seen it what wait what is this genre romantic comedy thriller um yes please (laughs) more of that please all right we'll have to do a little deep digging and see if we can come up with a list of 
movies that fit in that category. Yeah, if anyone wants to recommend romantic comedy thrillers to me, uh, please do. She was in just a couple of her other roles, Still Magnolias, Postcards from the Edge. One one that I remember uh, specifically, I think, from the 90s was Guardian Tess with Nicolas Cage, and she plays the first lady. So she asked to be protected by one particular Secret Service agent, played by Nicolas Cage. He does not like her. And comedy, hilarious hijinks ensue. Is that one also a romantic comedy thriller? Oh, hey, it might fall into that. Yeah. I can't remember what the thriller part is, but... Yeah. So you got Nicolas Cage on the brain, David? I do, I do. Wait until our now playing? Yes. Okay. Oh, wait, what? (laughs) How do you know? You know me so well. Oh, yeah. Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, that sounds right. Ooh, he just gave me the vapors thinking of his name. Give me the vapors thinking about Nicolas Cage? Yeah. 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 Uh, Matthew McConaughey plays Danny Buck, who is the prosecutor. And (laughs) also, I always got a shout out. I want to shout out for these genre pictures that these folks are in. Maybe most notoriously, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre of the Next Generation. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, he does a good uh, evil redneck. And he is teamed up with Renee Zellweger in that movie, which is like, I think, both of their feature debuts. And they have worked diligently for years to scrub their names from those movies. But we know. We remember. Actually, it's just getting released by Screen Factory on Blu-ray. And the original art had both of them on it. And they had to redo the art. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yep. They took them off of it. Oh, that's too bad. Unfortunately. I remember him also from John Grisham's Time to Kill. I think it was maybe the first thing I ever saw him in. That I've I, never like, seen it. Remember. Uh, he's in Interstellar. He's in Contact, which we were just on a trip to the Very Large Array where they filmed it, where yeah, Jenny Foster was, was there. Awesome. Yeah. It was really cool. And, oh, he is in Killer Joe where he plays a hitman. And that is a, wow, a grueling movie. Really grueling. I've not heard of it. It's uh, William Fredkin directed that. And it's mm. intense. I think he's been in a bunch of romantic comedies. Chelsea, do you know any in particular? Oh, that? He he might have been in a couple. I, I know he was in How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. All right. Uh, and he was in The Wedding Planner with J-Lo. All right. Uh, he was also in Magic Mike. All right. Which, uh, I don't know if it counts as a romantic comedy, but it's definitely up my alley. <laughs> <laughs> Hey-o. Um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So he's, he's been in a few. All right. Cool. Well, Jack Black and Matthew McConaughey have been in a movie together, and that movie was Tropic Thunder. That's pretty funny. I've seen it. remember finding out that that was Tom Cruise and... It just blew my mind. <laughs> my favorite one, they're like, it's a fake head. And he like licks it. Oh, God. Ooh. Okay. This is a little disappointing to me, Chelsea. The taglines. There's only one. No. Well, and I guess that one wins then. Doesn't really matter what it is. Moving on. <laughs> no. <laughs> Said tagline is a story so unbelievable. It must be true. Which I think is a totally fine tagline. I just wish there were a couple other options. We already mentioned how a lot of the people that appear in the film, they're testifying about Bernie um, in the interviews are from the town. Yeah, I did not realize that uh, either time watching it. So that's uh, that's real interesting. Yeah. And some of the reactions, you know, we talked about this love for Bernie in Carthage. But I mean, of course, the district attorney doesn't have such a view but there are a couple of other residents that didn't really respond that well to the movie. Someone named uh, Tony Clements, who went on the record. Tony knew both Bernie and Marjorie. Tony says, quote, If it was fiction, it might be funny. But this was a real person in a real town. And no, I don't think it's funny at all. Also, the Hawthorne Funeral Home in town where Bernie and Marjorie met refused to allow them to use the name of the funeral home in the movie and their statement was quote we felt we did not want the Hawthorne funeral name or family name thought of in a dark comedy you always know locally these are real people and families and there is a sting also of course a quote from the Panola County District Attorney Danny Buck Davidson he says that quote you can't make a dark comedy out of a murder This movie is not historically accurate. The movie does not tell her, as in Marjorie's, side of the story. So, you know, it seems like the filmmakers are really gung-ho about it all, but not everybody in town is. Yeah, but they did find plenty of people in town who were willing to talk. And I know we mentioned in the true story that, you know, they they couldn't even have his retrial in town because of the continued sentiments there. Yep, exactly. And in the credits, you see Jack Black meeting with the real Bernie. In Telford Unit State Prison. And also apparently Shirley MacLaine spoke to him over the phone. So I'm sure it helped inform their roles. Well, inform them from his perspective. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Holding back on talking about Jack Black and music because I just <laughs> had this really interesting little Easter egg, I guess, for you Tenacious D fans. And that is that Carthage's local radio station is named KGAS. KGAS. In honor of Kyle Glass. Cool. Yeah, and of course, with all this music, you know, I love Jack Black singing in a in a movie. I don't even think I knew he had a band when I first saw his couple of movies, and then I was like, oh my god, he has like this crazy band, and he's like equally dedicated to it as he is his films. So when he sings a duet in the movie. I've never been in love before from Guys and Dolls. And then he sings 76 trombones from Music Man. It was like really good. I was yeah. like, yes. And he sings a whole lot of uh, songs in church. He was... does. A lot of those gospel songs. Yeah, a lot of gospel songs. And yep. I, I was pretty surprised to find while watching this movie that David knew every lyric to every one of those songs. So oh, yep. it's like growing up having to go to church does. It did. Not yeah. me. <laughs> I haven't heard those songs before in my life. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I haven't heard the song since I was 11, but somehow I know all the melody and everything. Yeah. It's crazy the way stuff from your childhood just like sticks. Yep. It's the way I know all the lyrics to the songs from Blues Clues. Oh, you had yes. no clue what I was talking about. I yep. was like, what? I attended the, the church of Blues Clues. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's okay. Mine are all like Saturday morning cartoon theme songs. Oh. Well, that's all the facts and figures that I have about this movie, Bernie. So we'll just, uh, you know, briefly dive into our thoughts on the film. So what did you think overall? Did the knowledge of the true events, and I know you t- we talked about the, the filmmaker's intent kind of um, throwing a little shade on our opinions, respective opinions on the movie, but what did you think overall? Yeah, so I this is the, my second time watching the movie. The first time I saw it was right after it came out, and I saw it in theaters. And you know, at that point, I was not familiar with the true. Not only was I not familiar with the true story, but also a lot of parts of the true story hadn't really happened yet, uh, because you know this is a story that continued through 2016, just two years ago, and it it really did color how I felt about the movie, and I still feel like. It's a good movie separate from the the true crime aspect. You know, I think it's well done. It's well acted. The pace is very good. It's a really simple, straightforward story. You know, there's not really much tension involved. Um, But I just, the first time I saw the movie, I remember feeling like, you know, it's like a the comedy in it is kind of how absurd it is. The fact that, haha, these townsfolk would side with this guy who killed this woman just because they like him so much versus disliking her so much. And, you know, you think like, oh, that's just so absurd that it's funny. But then you realize that behind the scenes, the filmmaker kind of a- seems to agree with with that and it becomes not absurd and then you find out no these are actual townsfolks who feel that way and you know there's little bits turning marjorie into a an explicit racist and calling her evil throughout the course of the movie you know these are things that didn't stick out to me the first time i watched it and now kind of watching it more critically they really rub me the wrong way and i think that um you know it did feel a little bit gendered to me like them thinking that there's just something so inherently like wrong and evil about this woman because she doesn't act like this nice old lady that everyone's expecting and it's like I think it it's fine to be an old lady and be a little bit of a bitch (laughs) whatever you know you shouldn't have to act the way other people want you to and like real residents have said about her you know she just wasn't it wasn't that she was rude she just wasn't nice you shouldn't have to be nice to people just for the sake of it. You know, that's not, I mean, not that you shouldn't be nice to people, but that doesn't mean you deserve to be murdered is what I'm saying. You know, I think not fitting the role of a sweet old woman doesn't make your life any less valuable. And I don't think that's the message of this movie. I don't know. I got to say, I'm, I don't think I'd recommend it to anyone anymore now having read more about it. Sorry, I know a lot of people out there really like it and they were excited for us to cover it. And I was excited to cover it too, but read articles written by Marjorie's grandchildren and it's just, it just really kind of rubbed me the wrong way this time. How about you, David? It's interesting because like a lot of the time, you know, when we're talking about the true crime aspect and I'm hearing it for the first time as we're talking about it, my opinion often changes by the time we're talking about the movie because... I'm like, oh, okay. I didn't know how either accurate or not accurate or the motivations or the perceptions or in this case, where the two worlds collide of the filmmaking and the true crime 
Um, yeah. You know, a lot of our movies, there's like years of separation or it's someone who clearly, you know, is very easy to make them into the villain when it's the case of a horror movie. But in this case, yeah, I feel like it really complicates things. It's a it's a super well-crafted movie, and I understand why people like it. I mean, Jack Black is He's very so good charming. It. He's so good. He doesn't seem to have like this master plan, but I did go in with the feeling that like his intent was to murder one of these older widows. I think that his performance of this likable multifaceted, you know, resident of the small Texas town was really good. I think you're right. I agree with you on the intent and just how they portray Marjorie and then sort of the justifications that the townspeople come up with or Bernie or even that filmmakers are pushing us as an audience in the direction of being sympathetic towards Bernie. Because it's like Jack Black, who they could have hired a, a less charismatic actor, but instead Jack Black kind of pulled me in also. And there's also the fact that they don't even show him shooting her. You know, they show him pick up the gun and you hear the bullets, but it cuts to a close up of her face chewing, which is, I guess, a, a pet peeve of Bernie's in the movie that they, you know, show earlier. And I, they just really made it seem like she deserved it. And I also think not showing him do it and having him kind of have that, oh no, what have I done moment is exactly what influenced Jodie Cole into thinking, oh, it's a classic dissociative episode based on this movie. <laughs> I will give it a little bit of praise. And that is that I did think that the stuff of Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine warming up to each other, he worked very hard to like get on her good side. And I thought that that stuff was kind of sweet. There's like a moment where they're, I think they're at the opera or something and she like holds his hand. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Now they're close or friends, but I wasn't sure if they were going into a romantic relationship kind of thing with it at first or what. So what I'm saying is if you like Jack Black, he does a great job in this, but overall... I think, like you said, the message after like knowing about how things really went down, yeah. especially knowing about Richard Linkletter's perceptions of how things happened yeah. as well, it just kind of sours me on it. Yeah. And the, the movie has picked a side. I feel like there's no question in the movie to them, you know, Jack Black or Jack Black's Bernie <laughs> is 100% a good guy who snaps. They portray him as, you know, seeming to genuinely care about Marjorie and, you know, he has pictures of them up in his house even after he murders her and hides her body in the freezer. I think it's really picked aside and I think it kind of lost, it lost something in that. I think it's, it could be a more interesting and complex story if it was not so one-sided in its portrayal of him and Marjorie. There could have been one scene, one little scene, like I feel like I had to work a little bit, even though it was early on in the movie where I'm like, oh, he's going to kill one of these older women. He could have played it with like a little bit of darkness or one scene where the like mask falls or something, you know? And and I feel like that would have gone a, a long way towards like introducing even, I mean, why, why it's like. But that's, that's <sighs> not what he wants to do. Yeah. That's not Bernie and this is supposed to be 100% the, the lovable character. And I think that anything that a viewer reads into it, you know, in terms of there being some kind of darkness to to Bernie's character, it was not put in there intentionally. I think that Richard Linkletter, the story he wanted to tell was about this sweet guy who just, oops, I killed someone. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But it's a good movie. It's it's not a bad movie. And I think, honestly, knowing about what happened after the movie is what has really kind of turn, turned me off. Because I remember really enjoying the movie the first time I, I saw it. You know, it's got everything I like. Murder and comedy. Yeah. But watch it. Watch for yourself. Form an opinion. As I think we mentioned earlier, the only place we could find to rent it is YouTube. I don't know. I wonder if there maybe there were some legal issues. <laughs> With Especially it. with the retrial or something. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's weird that it, it's kind of disappeared from everywhere because it used to be streaming. I know it used to be streaming. Yep. So, you know, uh, let us know your thoughts on the movie too. After, yeah. Especially after like hearing about all the true crime Hopefully aspects it didn't of it. rain on all of your parades. But I, <laughs> I kind of do that. That's just what I do. I can't help it. It's good. It's good. All right. So as we kind of wind down the episode, we're going to move on to just uh, kind of the stuff that we are checking out currently. So Chelsea, what do you have on your list for now playing? Well, for my now playing, I'm going to go with our Halloween movie marathon yesterday. We finally decorated the house and we watched Halloween Town, Halloween Town 
to Calabar's Revenge and the house's October built to Halloween Town we watched last year for the first time. I think we even talked about it on the podcast, watching it last year. Halloween Town 2, equally cute and entertaining. I love a good kids Halloween movie. You gotta like spacing right, you got your horror movies, but I think you gotta interject just some fun positiveness in between because all my best Halloween memories are from you know when when I was a little kid and I didn't really watch Michael Myers when I was a kid I didn't watch murders or whatnot I liked uh fun movies yeah except for Garfield's Halloween special (laughs) hate that movie and then uh House's October built to I was a little disappointed with I don't know. I don't know. Those movies, I don't know how to feel about them. I really enjoy them showing all of the like haunted attractions because I always love going to those and we're going to check out one in New Mexico for sure next month. Yep. But the like plot line with the blue skeleton, I don't know. I think it just needs to decide whether it wants to actually kill people or not. <laughs> Is it all fun and games or are you actually going to kill someone but i felt that way the whole first movie and i thought it ended with them like at least killing one of them and apparently not apparently he's fine because he was back in this one with like his tongue and not stabbed to death and then this movie was like the same exact thing <laughs> so i don't know the end what's what's your now playing halloween town one and two were great yeah i didn't grow up with them but last year was the first time watch for the first one and this year was the first time watch for the second one i think they're a lot of fun i like seeing all the monster masks and it's very halloweeny so i like the fact that the plot is so specific to that particular day yeah that's always what i'm looking for in a good halloween movie yes exactly not like jaws who watches jaws in october no you watch that on the fourth of july exactly yeah well my now plane is the film mandy Directed by Panos Cosmatos, starring Nicolas Cage, the great Nicolas Cage. With a beard. Yes. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. And this movie has been my number one anticipated film of the year, even ahead of Halloween 2018. So I've been really stoked for this. I was more excited than Han Solo, which don't get me wrong, Solo was excellent. I think we mentioned it earlier. Mandy is basically an 80s fever dream. If you were to take, I don't know, all the neon saturated colors of anything you've seen in an 80s horror movie and the smoky effects and crazy editing and heavy metal chainsaws. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 feels like a partial influence for this. Sword and sorcery films from the 80s seem like they're all inspired the director's vision and basically it comes down to it's a revenge flick yes it is a a feast for the senses it's really i think a completely unique experience you know if if you happen to be able to see it in theaters i don't know if it is having a real sort of run it was just amazing on the big screen and then we came home and david immediately bought it because uh, it's you could already buy it or or rent it to to watch at home it's it is completely unique and i think that that's becoming a bit more more rare in movies it's it's quite the experience this is not a, a paid ad <laughs> <laughs> not a paid ad for mandy also nicholas cage is so good in it he is yeah he's he's excellent and i i love nicholas cage i know like people kind of make fun of him but he's a really great actor and i he sounds like he's a pretty decent person so yeah he's he's a fantastic actor i will always make fun of not the bees um (laughs) in part because i love the original wicker man and that as a the remake it just makes me chuckle um (laughs) but man he's he's amazing in this and i think that the way he'll just kind of go for it in his acting really works to the benefit of the movie it's it's the perfect role for him yeah yeah so if you like really if you like anything that we said check out mandy yes uh it's also pretty violent though it is if you don't mind violence over the top it's It's over the top which to me is easier than just regular violence yep okay uh what do you have for coming soon yeah my coming soon is going to be destination wedding all right i was promised that we would watch this yeah yep we're gonna watch it tonight really yep Woohoo! yeah i'm excited i love a good rom-com and uh i feel like it's something for everyone because it's a rom-com for me and it's uh keanu reeves and what's her name for you whatever her name is <laughs> oh yep what's her name winona Ryder. david has a big crush on winona Ryder. always and forever yep. forever winona <laughs> oh yeah or 
why not or forever yeah yeah why not forever yep yep what's your coming soon oh my coming soon oh i'm glad you asked speaking of revenge flicks the movie revenge has just hit shutter so i'm excited to check that out and also terrifier has hit netflix and that's the killer Evil clown cl- yes my favorite huh? yeah it's supposed to be extremely gory and gross but I, i'm eager to check it out all right find us on social you can find us everywhere we are on instagram at based on true crime we're on facebook at based on true crime podcast most importantly join our group from that page we have a lot of fun there it's the best way to interact with us personally and regularly and everyone does a great job of jumping in and sharing really cool articles so feel free to share some uh some stuff that's true crimey that's horror movie even what you're up to on the weekend or what you're having for breakfast we don't care we like to comment on it yeah i i really love our cult and we're always active on there even when we're less active on other social medias Yep, yep, exactly. On Twitter, we are at True Crime Based. Also, we mentioned our Patreon at the top of the episode, but please consider contributing to that. And if you're already a Patreon supporter, thank you so much. We offer one exclusive podcast episode per month, and we have some pretty great topics. In the past, we've covered several universal monsters. We've done Silence of the Lambs and a lot of other great stuff that we actually have not covered on the main podcast. So yeah, one buck a month will get you that. And then uh, we have some neat little rewards for other tiers as well and we are a proud member of the murderly network a great team of like-minded podcasts so check out murderly at m-u-r-d-e-r dot l-y if you'd like to see my art and what i'm up to artistically follow lab creature on instagram at LARP Creature. And you can see all the fun spooky stuff, cat stuff, all that. Uh, I'm always posting almost every day. Our podcast theme and supporting music was composed and performed by Nico Batiste of We Talk of Dreams. And he can be found on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams and the website wetalkofdreams.com and also Instagram at the same handle at We Talk of Dreams. As we segue from summer into fall and the air begins to cool and the nights begin to be cold and you start craving pumpkin spice lattes oh yeah planning your halloween costumes and planning parties and hay rides and jack-o'-lantern patterns and carefully scheduling out your movie viewing so you could watch every movie that you want to watch before halloween exactly. before halloween yeah it means double and triple features it does well yeah. just remember death is but a door and time is but a window we'll be back Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T R Y L I F E M D.com.